0: Today's first reading is taken from the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, starting at chapter 3, and that can be found on page 670 in your Bibles. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build. a time for war, and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, and there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead, who had died, who had already died, are happier than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. This is God's word.
1: Please uh, pick up the Bible that's on the shelf in front of you and turn to page 1194, which is 1 Timothy 6, and we're going to read from verses 11 to 16. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might for ever. Amen. Let's pray together.
2: Uh, Fathers, we've just, uh, in one sense, we've prayed already. Would you help us to stand on all of your promises? Would you uh, help us to understand them rightly? We give you great thanks that they are a trustworthy place to stand. So give us a sure footing again as we come to your word and as we leave here today. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat. And it would be very useful if you can turn back to Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which is page uh, 670 in these Bibles. Because uh, we continue today then to uh, look at the book of Ecclesiastes which is uh, really asking the question, what what is the meaning of life? The uh, the main writer, or the author then, the teacher, he's uh, testing his theory. He's a, what's it, a a skeptical or he's a believer, but uh, is uh, pushing the logic. If there is no God, if all that there is in this world is life under the sun, life under heaven, then what is, what have we got? And what he keeps pushing over and over again, the dominant refrain is, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. If this is all there is. So if you've been with us, you know, he's, uh, he's explored a number of things. He's explored the value of wisdom and uh, found that meaningless. Uh, he explored a life of pleasure and found that meaningless. Uh, he tried to find his reason for living in work and that was meaningless. All those are good things, wisdom, work, uh, pleasure, they're all good things, but you, you can't build your life upon them, says the teacher. If this is all there is, it doesn't satisfy completely. Have uh, if you noticed? Uh, Arthur Miller is apparently very popular in London, or there's some kind of mini-revival, so All My Sons, which is a good play, uh, opens again uh, at the end of this month on the back of uh, last year's uh, very well-received production of After the Fall, which is, a, I don't know if you know Arthur Miller at all, it's one of his more curious plays. It's sort of a, a Marmite play. People either love it or hate it. Um, it's sort of semi-autobiographical. So the main character in it is Quentin, and uh, he's a New York lawyer whose uh, wife has died. His wife, Maggie, slash Marilyn Monroe, you know, it's, it's slightly autobiographical. His wife has died, and he's thinking, what does my life add up, add up to? Let me take stock here. What's going on? And there's one uh, very powerful, I think, uh, 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 a little speech he makes near, fairly near the beginning of the book. He puts it this way of how he viewed life. You know, more and more I see that for many years I looked at life like a case of law. It was a series of proofs. When you're young, you prove how brave you are or how smart. Then, what a good lover you are. Then, what a good father. Finally, how wise or how powerful or what the hell ever. I think now that my disaster really began... When I looked up one day and the bench was empty, there was no judge, no judge in sight, so that all that remained was the endless argument with myself, this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which, of course, is another way of of saying despair. Despair. Great. <laughs> What's he saying? Do you see what he's saying there? All his life he's lived for, the, for certain things. Like, I've got to be the coolest, I've got to be the best lover, uh, I've got to have a, you know, a decent job, I've got to be a decent father, I've got to be successful. Uh, but then all of a sudden he takes a step back and looks up and says, If no one is assessing my life, so what? If there's no God there, if there's no one passing a sentence upon my life, who cares whether I'm a success or a failure? Really? I just move from one thing to the next, seeing, exploring them. Will, will I get my sense of worth in that, no, in that, in that? Okay, what, oh, is this it? And the teacher would say, yes, you see, you've got it, haven't you? <laughs> That's right. If there's no judge, if there's no, at the end of time, there's no uh, one to make an assessment on our lives, if this is all there is, well, it's meaningless, says the teacher. So uh, he's explored a number of things and from chapter 3 onward, there's a slight shift uh, in his quest. So now from uh, from the next really four chapters he makes a number of observations on life. Here are other things I've observed or discovered under the sun or under heaven. And at the beginning of chapter 3 is probably I guess the best well known if you know it at all part of the book of Ecclesiastes, this poem about time. And how do you read it? Well, it depends on how you choose to read it, I guess. But I think the point here is a relentlessness to time. And then he'll go on to say, oh, and justice. That's one particular feature of that. So let's have a look at this. Uh, Three little things, really. We can't fathom time. We need time to end. But then uh, lastly, Jesus rules time. More simply, let's put it like that. So first thing, uh, chapter three, really, we can't fathom time. Now, this poem, it is a beautiful poem, I think, uh, in verses uh, 1 to 8 of chapter 3. But there are two ways of reading. You can read it negatively. Time is relentless. On and on it goes. Or you can read it more positively and say, oh, variety, change, I like that. So it slightly depends how you choose to read it. Both are true. Time or life has a rhythm to it. So uh, most of the poem, then, is this set of contrasts, such sort of sun-moon contrasts, all encompassing by going for these opposites. So verses 2 and 3 are the natural life cycle. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build. That's what life is like, on and on. Verse 4 is the emotional contrast. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. Do you see how he's putting these bookends in all the time to say it's all encompassing? And then 5 to 8 are activities, scattering, gathering stones. No one really knows what that is actually. But there's a time to embrace. There's a time to give someone great affection and embrace them. But there's a time to give up and let people go. That's true as well. There's a time to search and a time to give up. Sometimes you've got to find your keys. And you search and search and search. Sometimes you say, look, I give up. We're not going to find them. Cut some more ones. There's a time for both of those. There's a time to destroy. A time to repair. Tearing and mending. There's a time for love and a time for hate. And on a national scale, there is time for love and hate, war and peace. So he's saying, here's the the ebb and flow of time. It goes back and forth. Seasons come, seasons go. That's what life is like. Now, how do you feel about that? Well, he gives two sort of conflicting or contrasting ways. You can either view time as a tyrant, which is verses 9 to 11, I think, or time as a gift, 12 to 15, no, once it, it's both, but... Well, let's look. So time is a tyrant uh, at 9 to 11. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. Time goes round and around and around. And we're not in control of it. We dance to time's tune. And sometimes it really feels that way. So we march along to time. So it's get up, eat, work, eat, work. Home, rest, sleep, get up, eat, work, eat. You know, and there are there are times when you go through that and you just think, you know, this is I'm on the treadmill. What's going on? Uh, it's relentless time sometimes, and we don't. You know, there's uh, there's a C.S. Lewis points out in his little essay on time. There are these phrases that reveal we don't like that. We re- doesn't time fly? We're not really reconciled to time. We, oh, it's so annoying, it just flies. Well, that's just the march of time, isn't it? We don't, oh, that's uh, seasons come, seasons go. All these sort of phrases that just say, hold on a minute, stop that, stop the, you know, pause. I, I, we've got to stop it. We're not in control of time. You know, for the first few years of life, it's great when you have a birthday. Up until about 18 or maybe 21, terrific birthdays. Older, mature, you know, more freedom, independence. And then after that, well it's my birthday. How old am I? I can't even remember this year. It's it's slightly not quite the same. And birthdays come and Christmas. And we say, oh, it's come round quickly again, hasn't it? And they come round and round and round. And that's the March of time. And we feel it in the seasons. So soon, soon, we pull on the summer shorts. But then we crack out the winter coat, sorry, the autumn jackets, then the winter layers, then the spring brollies, And then the summer shorts, and then the autumn coats, and the winter layers, and round it goes, and round times go. That's life. I don't know if you know uh, 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 Our Banker, it's a poem by uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, I don't know if you know much of his stuff. Uh, It's one of his famous poems, Our Banker, where he talks of time. Old time in whose banks we deposit our notes is a miser who always wants guineas for groats. He keeps all his customers still in arrears by lending them minutes but charging them years. How long he will lend us, how much we may owe, no angel will tell us, no mortal may know. At five score, at four score, at three score and ten, he may close the account with a stroke of his pen. And it expresses that time's in control. (laughs) We don't control time. Now, of course, that's, you know, oof, that's the negative way, obviously, of uh, of reading it. Time is tyrant. And into that, all of a sudden, verse 11 bursts in. Hold on a minute. God, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. And he set eternity in the hearts of men. Everything is beautiful in its time. Actually, stop. The turning of seasons is delightful, isn't it? It is lovely to see the autumn leaves and all the, the colors. And snow, when we get it, is terrific. And then if you get a lot of snow and cold, then you get brilliant blossom in the spring and it's almost worth the cold. Uh, and you get the change of seasons. Oh, but that's At a time for different things, that's lovely, isn't it? And God has put eternity into the hearts of men. That's so wonderful. But, verse 11, yet they can't fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Oh, you, oh hold on a minute. I thought you were getting positive. <laughs> um And here, verse 11, really is the central contrast or or, or the nub of Ecclesiastes. God has put eternity into the hearts of men, yet they can't fathom what's going on. God has put something in us which gives us a longing for more, a yearning for something different, better, beyond this life, deep within us. And yet, we can't really get what he's doing about it. People feel often that there's something more. Uh, Again, uh, C.S. Lewis famously, I think, or or quite a well-known quote, put it this way. Creatures. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is, I was made for the next world. Again, you see what he's saying. Look, we have longings within us, and so normally we can satisfy them. You know, there's, in theory, you can. Oh, I'm really hungry, brilliant, I'll have some food, great. Thirsty, great. You know, we have desires, we can fulfill them. There's a longing within us for something more than just this life. We don't think this is it. So, says Lewis, well, you'd expect that there's some satisfaction for that, wouldn't you? You'd expect it. That's how we're wired. But we struggle to see the purpose, he says, verse 12, the teacher. Verse 11, sorry. We can't fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I I don't know if you ever get to walk through uh, Green Park. I try to walk through Green Park once a week. I just, it's my thing. Uh, and um, it's very beautiful at the moment—the uh, leaves, etc., colours. But also, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the elephant parade. You've seen the London elephant parade? Terrific! Someone, you know, this uh, to raise money, uh, awareness of Asian elephants dying. There are these 250 coloured elephants scattered round uh, central London, and uh, Mayfair seems to have gone, done disproportionately well in uh, its elephant quotient for some reason. Uh, but if you go into Green Park, there's, there's about 20 of them. Uh, and uh, there's ten of them in a row, like a herd. A very, you know, uh, painted, brilliant. If you've not seen them, just go for three minutes after church. It's lovely. It's a really uh, fun sight. And you look at that and think, that's beautiful, and I get that. And you can go up to them and say, "What well, you know, the f- first time they appeared, what are those? And you go, oh, there's a brilliant plaque telling you. Oh, thank you very much. Very good. Now, on the other side of the path which I walk is this this thing that's annoyed me for weeks, which is about... Two tennis courts area of grass has just been left to grow. So you've got Green Park, you know, very well well kept, park keepers there all the time. This it's about a meter high, this grass, wild grass, and it's roped off around it. And every time I walk through the park, I think that's really irritating. Why is that left like that? That's just a mess. Can someone tidy that up, please? what, what is going on there? Uh, until finally this week I saw a park keeper and said, excuse me. <laughs> That mess over there. We say, oh, it's fine. What it is, is um, uh, the tree in the middle there. There's, I forget, but there's a rare bird. Got a nest there uh, with its eggs. And it's very rare. I mean, you never see them in the southeast. So we want to give it the wild grass so there are worms and all sorts of things crawling around to give it the best chance for uh, life to grow there. And you think... Oh, fair enough. uh, (laughs) I'll stop being sort of mildly irritated. That sounds like, you know, uh, quite a good thing. and It's quite a sweet thing, it goes on in central London. Now, life is, it's a bit like that grass patch sometimes. You look at it and you say, what's that? What's that? Why is this happening in my life? What is the point of this? How can there be any use in this? Uh, I I was pretty low, and then this comes along as well. Well, that's, you know, where's the logic there? What's all that about? we often don't see you often don't see there's often no sign on the elephant or there's no park keeper to let you know let me explain the purpose let me explain why this is a good thing to bring life there's no park keeper often but if you know that god has put it there if you know that god is lord of time that does change things that changes everything So 12 to 15 is the positive way. Rather than viewing time as tyrant, you view time as gift. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing could be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. You can't, we'll never work out everything. We just won't. But if you recognize that time is a gift from God, that he gives the seasons, he gives it, well, then you can enjoy that. If you recognize God has arranged things for our good and so that men would recognize him, revere him, well, then you can enjoy it. I read some uh, someone this week, um, he put it very lovely, I thought, very beautifully. If you want the key to understanding life, you must go to the locksmith who made the lock, and has the keys. God holds all the keys to all the unknown. But he won't give you them. You have to trust that he'll unlock the doors for you when he's ready. Hey, yeah, that's right. That's Ecclesiastes. You can't, oh, what's going on? I can't understand this. Why is this door not opening? Well, it will do at the right time. Go to the key maker, the locksmith. That's right that's that's how God has made time so you see we can't fathom it we're never sort of bottoming out everything that's going on but we decide whether we view time as a tyrant or as a gift from God and that does transform it but we never fathom it so we can't we uh, can't fathom time but then secondly we need time to end we need a Well, and um, he pushes the logic a little bit further here. We need time to end, because from verse 16 onwards, he introduces one particular example of why we need to know that there's someone in charge of time, and that's injustice. Injustice. Chapter 3, verse 16. I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. Or well, chapter 4, verse 1. I Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed. They had no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors. They have no comforter. I declare that the dead who'd already died are happier than the living. When I look around this world, and if this world is all there is, life under the sun, injustice mocks me. What is the point when there is in the place of justice, there's wickedness. It could be just in the office, you know, the, the, the boss who's got you know, too much power and is unreasonable. It could be small scale. It could be on a national scale. It could be a corrupt regime. And you read of wickedness going on in Zimbabwe. I read this week of uh, a guy who's released from North Korea and his years of punishment uh, in, under that regime. Just wickedness. And the writer says, if there's no judgment at all, if there's no God who rules over all, that mocks our lives. If there is no God, on what basis can you say that anything is right or wrong? So recognizing that, Richard Dawkins puts it this way. The Atheist, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is a bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Now that is bleak. That's what the writer is saying here. If, if this world is all there is, it's just pitiless indifference. And you think, that's all very well for you to say when you live in a nice house in North Oxford and your life is pleasant. <laughs> if you live somewhere else in the world, I don't think you could be so complacent. In one interview it was put to him, uh, the example, okay, Richard Dawkins, so three youths break into a house of an elderly man. They kill him. And steal all his possessions. On what basis would you say he, that he's wrong? That they've done wrong, sorry. On what basis would you rebuke the three youths? His answer Oh, I couldn't ultimately argue intellectually against somebody who did something I found obnoxious. I think I could finally only say, Well, in this society, you can't get away with it. And I'd call the police.
1: I
0: realize this is very
2: weak, and I've said I don't feel equipped to produce moral arguments in the way I feel equipped to produce arguments of a cosmological and biological kind. Is that it? You can't say to those young, you, the murder is wrong, only you've broken the law. Well, that's a fat lot of good if you live under the regime of King Yong Il or Robert Mugabe. You go to the police then, Do you say you've broken, he is the law, they are the law. On what basis can you say that they're wrong? You can't. You can merely say, that's life. I'm sorry, I greet you with pitiless indifference. Because that's all I can do. There is no right, there is no wrong. There is only might. That's bleak, says the teacher. (laughs) Or the teacher would say, perhaps in response, the worldview that cannot condemn senseless murder is meaningless. You may have some cosmological arguments, but if you can't produce a moral argument to say that that is wrong, that's hopeless. And you you may as well be dead. That's what the teacher says. So we need time to come to an end. Verse 17. I thought in my heart, thank goodness it isn't that way, (laughs) I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. So the teacher says, look, this cycle, the cycle of time, it has to stop at some point. There has to be an end to it where someone says, okay, a reckoning. (laughs) We need to sort this out. It can't just go on this pitiless indifference that sometimes it seems like. The cycle must stop. Because unless there is a verdict, unless there is a time when there's ultimately some judgment, you can do what you want. I'll think of it this way. Uh, a group is marooned on a desert island and there's no ch- it's obscure desert island in the middle of the uh, some ocean. The, uh, it's in the middle of nowhere where no one ever goes by. There's no chances of rescue or survival. No food, no water. They land on this island, uh, a dozen of them for a week, and they know they're all going to die. What do you do? You can do what you want. But actually, if you spend the next few days killing people or saving people, what does it matter? If you spend the week healing or stealing, who cares? You're all going to die. And if that's all there is, well, you may as well have the best time possible. It doesn't matter what you do or how you live if there's no reckoning at the end. And uh, the teacher says, well, that's the same. If injustice is bad, verses 18 to 20, death is the ultimate injustice. Verse 18, I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they may see that they're like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything's meaningless. Do You see, (laughs) death is ultimately indiscriminate. It doesn't matter if you've been kind or wicked. It doesn't matter if you've lived your your life wonderfully for the benefit of mankind or selfishly for yourself. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or a budgie. You're going to die. It doesn't matter. So who cares? Just grab life and have some fun. You might as well because death ends it all. Death is the ultimate injustice on how we've lived our lives. If there's nothing else but we, we, we don't want that to be true. We don't want just to end up in the same place as a budgie. We don't want the Mugabes of the world to get away with everything and for there to be no justice. Because God has placed eternity in our hearts, and we long for something more. I mean, in an utterly illogical sense, jean Paul Sartre, the existentialist, his fairly famous quote, that God does not exist, I cannot doubt, But that my whole being cries out for God, I cannot deny. Now, everything in my head says, look, I don't think there is a God. But my whole being cries out, there's got to be. Otherwise, everything's meaningless. There's got to be. And this injustice of this life, it's me. There's got to be a God. He cries out. We need time to end because we want there to be justice, says the author, says the teacher. Last thing, Jesus rules time. Let's, uh, let's, um, there, are, there are pointers beyond this, of course. Uh, verse 17 is one, God will bring to judgment. Verse 11, uh, there's eternity in the hearts of men. But beyond that, let me uh, uh, turn back to the New Testament and uh, turn again to those verses that were read from 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Why bother living a decent life? So 1 Timothy, chapter 6, Paul writes... But you man of God, to Timothy, you man of God, flee from all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Why? Okay, why bother? <laughs> why? Timothy could turn around and say, "Why bother living a life of righteousness, godliness, gentleness? Why bother being kind to everyone else? Why bother doing the right thing? Fight the good fight of the faith of the faith, says Paul. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I charge you, verse 13, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. live, Live this way, says Paul, because Jesus is coming back. God has appointed the time, I don't know what it is, God has appointed the time, but he is coming back. And that changes everything about why you would live in a certain way. Jesus is coming back. Now, for those of us who have never been reconciled to him, that's a worrying thought, a terrifying thought, because none of us have done enough to earn a place in heaven. We'll be judged. But for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, are reconciled to him, that's an enormously encouraging thought. We'll be with him. And it means that what we do now matters. Everything matters the whole of life matters. Every detail matters. Because God sees it all. And he'll credit us for them. At our, uh, five-year-old, uh, our five-year-old, at his school at the moment, they do this uh, slightly funny thing. Uh, there's a court being good scheme in the school, this term. The idea that rather than teachers randomly catching children behaving badly, they want to catch you being good, doing random acts of kindness, uh, holding doors open, uh, helping children up if they're fallen over, that sort of thing. And if you're caught, if you're caught being good, uh, then you get some sort of certificate. Um, I mean, yeah, it's all very nice. The, um, so breakfast time at the moment. You know, we have a little breakfast time. We read the Bible, etc. And then, okay, what do you want? You know, what should we pray for? What should we pray for you? Can you pray that I'm caught being good today? <laughs> okay. Uh, now, look, you do realise, don't you, that even if the teacher doesn't see you, doesn't catch you being good, God does. God catches you being good, and so He'll reward you. Yeah, but I really want a certificate from school. Yeah, <laughs> okay, okay, whatever. The, um, uh, but that sense is true. Uh, God will catch us being good because He's coming back. Our lives matter because He'll judge them, and there'll be justice. So two final quick thoughts. Enjoy variety and use time well. Enjoy the variety of time. Enjoy it all. Time is not a tyrant, it's a gift. So enjoy the variety of time as it comes. Uh, When we brought our first child home, um, uh, chaos as it always is, and... um, uh, I mean, he'd been in hospital for five weeks in an incubator and for my wife, for months before that. We were in a depression and a terrible state of affairs. This wonderful health visitor came round. She was 20 stone, I don't know. This one, She just came and enveloped my wife and said, it's all going to be all right. And that was very helpful. But the other helpful thing she did was said, um, now, don't wish time away. Enjoy every day. Enjoy every period. Don't think that when he gets to so-and-so age, that'll be the best age. Enjoy them all, because they all pass, and then you'll look back and think, oh, that was quite... Enjoy every different age and stage. Actually, that was a really lovely piece of advice. It was lovely. Enjoy the moments you say, and, it's, and you know, for those with kids, you know that's true. You know, they, gosh, they you know, grow up and grow up, and gosh, you know, teenagers leaving home, yowzers, know, let's look back. Those were nice times. Uh, enjoy every moment. Enjoy the variety of life. That's receiving time as a gift, says the teacher. And then last thing, use time well. Use time well. Because this life is not on an endless cycle. It will end. Time is linear, actually. Uh, And it's going to a point when Jesus Christ will return. So let's use it. Use it well. There's a... um, I'm sure it's in the book. I don't know, but there's a scene in the the first Lord of the Rings film, and you know that uh, J.R. Tolkien was uh, it was a believer of some kind. He had a great belief in the the that God was Lord of time, the providence of God, you could call it, a strong belief in that that God had arranged everything in its time. There's one scene in the film. I mean, if you've not read it, just run with it, or seen it. They're in the minds of Maria, yeah, whatever. Um, but they're in the minds, and the, the sort of chief protagonist, Frodo, who's the one who is carrying the ring to its destruction, a great burden upon him. He remarks to Gandalf, uh, the wizard, Gandalf, I really wish that this had, hadn't happened in my time. Why me? That's what he's saying, why me? Why is this fallen to me? And we all feel that sometimes. Why is it me that's sick? Why is it me that's missed out on those things? Why is it me? Or why is it them? Why is it us? Why at our time has this happened? Frodo says, I wish this hadn't happened in my time. And Tolkien has the wizard reply. Oh, so do all who live to see such times. That's not for them to decide. All we have to decide... It's what we do with the time that's given to us. And um, I think he's expressing a biblical view there. And for those who know a bit more of the film, he goes on to say, there are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the world of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were meant to have the ring. That's an encouraging thought. Oh, God has arranged things, so you have this burden because he's placed it upon you. You you don't see what God is doing. God has placed eternity in our hearts, and yet we can't fathom what God is doing from the beginning and end always. We don't know all the details. But we trust him. We We don't see the park ranger, but we know there's some purpose if we trust him. We don't know why it's fallen to us in our time, but we make the most of the time we have to serve him. And so for those who know that there is more than just this life, There is life beyond this sun. Then the passing of time, it's a gift to enjoy. Let's pray together. Our Father, the passing of the seasons of life, the fact that there is a time for all these things, a time for rejoicing, a time for mourning, Uh, Surely all of us are familiar with that. We thank you that it's not pointless. It isn't just an endless cycle, but that history and time is moving to an end point. We thank you that that is so important to know that there will be justice for all the wrongs done in this world. So Father, in our own lives, uh, it's easy and natural to reflect, why me, why this time? But would we... Enjoy the time you've given us. Make the most of the time you've given us to serve you, to live lives for you, knowing that you will return. Amen. uh, it says questions on the sheet actually we uh, there 's one more on Ecclesiastes, but uh, why do we we could do that today? Uh, if there are any questions on either on this or things we 've looked at in Ecclesiastes so far, why not in time honored fashion turn to the person next to you uh, if you don 't know them or they 're just visiting or if, you know if you don 't really fancy this, just talk about the weekend that 's a good thing to do. Uh, how many elephants you 've spotted in central London but it may be that um I want to say anything that 's you feel these unresolved questions that you might have coming out of that, or in stuff. Any, indeed any of the things we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. I want to take a couple of minutes. Uh, we'll see if there are any questions. Uh, and if not, we'll sing. Okay, I wonder, um, anyone want to ask a, a question? Or if they're shy um, and you think you've chatted about a good question, you can ask it for someone else. Um, or maybe not. There's a time for questions. There's a time to be quiet, so, you know. <laughs> Steve? Uh, there are lots of people who are busy and have very little time. How do we reconcile with that with um, making time for God? Uh, I think the simple answer is make, or the simplest answer is make everything you do time for God. So go to your office and do your work in a manner which is pleasing to him um, uh, in a way which is, is you, where you relate to colleagues is pleasing to him uh, has a desire probably to share the faith with him um, uh, so in- inject what you do now of course you can get slightly obsessive I mean this is, becomes a whole larger issue about how we rest and, and how man is made but um, you know, how do I watch the FA Cup final to the glory of God. Um, uh, it's fine, you know. It's fine. Enjoy it, enjoy it. God has made us to work and to rest. I mean, to enjoy it. So um, give thanks that you got time and that it's enjoyable to watch such a thing. But give thanks for it. Um, as to how people manage their lives and their schedules, look, that's another. In one sense, that's quite a big question and another one. Uh, some people spread the jam too thin. That's one of the problems. It can be a very easy problem of, uh, uh, of life in London. Try and see too many people do too many different things and end up, all of them is slightly superficial and then sort of hit the wall and say, oh, I'm exhausted. Um, but, yeah, everyone, everyone's life circumstance is different. Charlie? Uh, thank you, So Charlie, saying uh, 322, a man should enjoy his work. What does that say to someone who doesn't enjoy his work? Uh, well, um, a number of things to say. I mean, if you were here last week, we thought a little bit about work. Now, one of the reasons people fail to enjoy work is they expect too much of it. Uh, they expect work to be the fulfillment of their lives, and work, and that's too much. You don't expect work to do that. To tick all your boxes to give you ultimate satisfaction it can't, it's not meant to uh, so if you expect too much of work um, you make it your ultimate sense of worth then you'll never enjoy it because it'll always let you down uh, that's one group others don't like work because they're in the wrong job um, uh, and you know some jobs were deeply ill suited too uh, if I was a If I was seeking to be a professional sportsman, my life would be miserable because I'm not good enough. Um, So I'd be hoping, you know, my life would be miserable, misery, and no one would pay me, so I'd have no, you know, so it would be a miserable existence. Um, And some people are are in the wrong job. They're they're forced down one track early on in life, and they're trying to be an engineer when really they want to be uh, an oil painter. um, And they'd be much happier. So some people are in the wrong job. those are the two main, main reasons, I think. The, the first one, the first one is the big one. If you expect too much, and that can manifest itself in different ways. you can enjoy your job for a while, but then you tire and, and you lose interest in it, and you try to jump to find something else to reignite interest, the, the job that'll satisfy, well, there isn't such a thing, except that work is sometimes great and sometimes a waste of time. Yes, yeah, sometimes we come home and think. I may as well not have bothered leaving my door or my bed because actually all I've done this, today is go backwards uh, in terms of my workload. And Everyone has those sort of days. Um, so what are you and what category are we in? Well, you, That's why we have one another, to talk. Because um, sometimes we think we're in one sort of circumstances and we need others to say, mm, no, uh, actually all that's wrong is this. Um, So there's no one straightforward answer to that. It sort of gets, as all these things, here are some pegs in the ground, and then you need wisdom, and normally that comes chatting with others as well.